Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I recently wrote a cover story package on BTS, who are, as we declared, the biggest band in the world right now. I don't think there's really any doubt about that. As you no doubt know, they are a seven-man pop group from South Korea with three rappers and four singers, all ridiculously good dancers, and no one has achieved anything like what they've achieved. No group from South Korea or anywhere in Asia has had anywhere the kind of success that BTS has had in the U.S. and other markets. They are on their third number one single in the United States. The new one is called Butter, and it's the second English-language single from them, and it's very much in the vein of Dynamite, the previous English-language single, but it's got a charm all its own. It's great. But these English-language singles, if it's all you know about BTS, really only scratch the surface. There's so much more to them. There's a lot of depth there. I I would definitely recommend checking out my interviews if you get a chance. But today I also wanted to talk to Youngdae Kim, who wrote a book called BTS The Review. He is a soul-based music critic and musicologist. He actually has, uh, he came to the States to get a PhD in musicology, and he's been covering Korean music since the late 90s. And he wrote the first book ever about hip-hop in South Korea. And so we had a pretty in-depth conversation about BTS and a little bit about the history of pop music in South Korea and hip-hop in South Korea. The conversation started off with Young Day Kim explaining when he first heard about BTS back in 2013. Well, honestly, I, I sense the significance of BTS or more broadly, this new format, hip-hop idol in K-pop, would be uh, something important in, in a lot of ways. I mean, that was 2012, I guess, or 13. I heard about the group, actually. Maybe it was just a prototype. I, I don't think it's just just the same group as as now. But I heard from my colleague that producer Bang Shihok is preparing a new group largely based on hip-hop, but the format will be K-pop Idol. So I thought that was an interesting idea in a lot of ways. First of all, I actually, well, like I said earlier, I was deeply interested in Korean hip-hop scene from early on, and I... What happened to uh, write a book about Korean hip hop for the first time in South Korea, which is mm-hmm. Hangok Hip Hop, Yeolchung Ebaljachi, translating Korean hip hop, the first steps of passion. That was 2006. And the reason I wrote that book actually was the fear, you know, the concern that I had at the time. I, I thought, honestly, the Korean hip hop was dying at the time, around 2005, 2006. But, you know, then several year, years passed and I heard from my colleague about the group BTS. And I thought that was really weird, but at the same time, really 
fascinating idea, combining hip hop and pop idol, you know, K-pop idol uh, format. Because for me, K-pop was, well, still is all about, you know, heavy production, control, management, you know, the forging talent, fostering the talent, you know, at the same time. But for me, hip-hop, like you know, it's all about representation. I mean, it's, it's about identity, about who you are, where you're from, who or what you're representing. Well, at the time I heard the news about, you know, the group BTS, I thought you would be complete, like, game-changer, or you would be total disaster, <laughs> honestly. Then I saw their name because I was in the United States and saw all these like ups and downs and success and achievement of K-pop in the U.S. U.S. market. You know, for instance, Psy, Gangnam Style, and other boy bands and girl groups. I saw their name on the you know list of the of the show called KCON. It's the biggest K-pop festival right. in the U.S. by CJ Entertainment. Right. Yeah, so I was just instantly intrigued by the idea and the group because at the time, well, they're not the only hip-hop idol, actually. We had Big Bang and uh, Block B, uh, BAP. They're all great. They really had their own career and their own moment. And Big Bang was actually probably the most well-known K-pop group at the time, along with uh, Super Junior and EXO and Shiny. So... Well, I so I kind of carefully monitored the group's career from uh, 2013. But I mean, from from the very first moment I saw them in person, I mean, I I didn't have any like uh, chance of doing interview or what. But I when I first watched their performance at KCON and watched the fan reaction and the really small but devoted fans, just the same energy they they still have these days. I was so mesmerized. I was so shocked by the power of fandoms and the uh, and the idea of these fans, you know, had saying that BTS is totally new thing or something different from uh, pre-existing K-pop idols. So I I was instantly hooked by the group itself and the music and uh, and the fan reaction. As you well know, Army, as BTS's fans are known. These days, many don't like to put BTS in the K-pop category, and, and the group themselves have complicated feelings about that. When I talked to RM about that, he, he said ultimately it doesn't matter, but he didn't really endorse BTS as part of K-pop. The idea is sort of that they're their own genre, which I think there's, there's an argument for. That said, historically, I think to understand where they came from, you have to look a little bit at this state of K-pop. And... It's very significant, of course, that what Big Hit, which is their agency, their label, uh, and is now part of, now became this giant public company, Hybe, was at the time of their debut in 2013, was this tiny startup in an industry dominated by big companies. So maybe you could kind of just explain all that for a minute, what the landscape looked like in 2013 and why it was a struggle to come from this this startup for them. Yeah, first of all, the discussion of you know K-pop and uh, you know BTS being not K-pop or something something like that. Well, I think uh, it's the confusion is there because the word K-pop doesn't really mean anything except for the fact K-pop <laughs> is Korean popular music. But the thing is, it's a kind of word that people used from outsiders' point of view. 
because we, I mean, before 2000, early 2000, we, we Korean, Korean journalists or Korean people really didn't have to call it K-pop. Yeah, idol music is a type of industry, but, but, but the, the K-pop, it was just the, just the word that the foreign journalists started to use, you know, naming after the word J-pop because they are already familiar with the idea of J-pop. But the, the thing is, the first music or the music uh, that was popular at the time was idol music or or some something similar. So it really made that kind of confusion that K-pop is all about idol music, even though the word K-pop doesn't really mean something about idol or something like that. That confusion actually made people like ARMY or BTS that they really felt they have to distinguish themselves from the uh, idea of K-pop. But technically, K-pop is just Korean popular music. But the, the problem is the usage, you know, <laughs> it's not the definition. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I wanted to point out. Producer Bang Shihok, formerly a really talented composer-producer in JYP, he already had a great career as a composer. But he said he felt that there's got to be something else beyond these, like, K-pop idol format or formula. It can be idol music, but it, it can be different. That's his idea. But I think it's it's uh, really associated with a more more genuine and authentic artistry, still based on idol format, and uh, a lot of really you know, amazing narratives and stories. So around the time BTS made debut, yeah, there are three. I mean, giants. You know, you you mentioned that Big Hit, well, hype right now, but Big Hit at the time was a really small company, a really small company, and actually they. Project Pang was really desperate at the time because, I mean, it was almost the end of his actually kind of... <laughs> the, the company was actually dying <laughs> at the time because I mean, they didn't really make any substantial success. So BTS, the group BTS, even though the idea was really you know, revolutionary and really the, the musically they had their own like group of talents like composers and arranger and the Pang Shiok himself is an amazing songwriter so they had talent but they didn't have any like resources like money or promoters and something like that I mean power so it was hard competition and uh, not many people probably nobody actually believed that BTS from Big Hit would be a next big thing and uh the situation remained pretty much same up until 2017, I guess, uh, when BTS won the first social top social artist category at the Billboard Music Award and uh, appeared for, for the first time at the American Music Awards show, which actually boosted their popularity back in South Korea to pay attention to the group four years after their debut. Yeah, I was fascinated to learn that it was their success in America, you said, that, that essentially boosted them to superstardom in their home country. It was this, and, and that's the first time anything like that has ever happened. This whole cultural flow of K-pop gone global, international, was a pretty much like the, the phenomena in the last 10 years. I mean, it's quite a new phenomenon. So definitely it was the first time. I mean, because before... The success of BTS, it was, it was process for the success of K-pop idols in the global market. You know, you got to be successful locally in South Korea, then you will be targeting for the just like markets 
like East Asian market, then Southeast Asia, then probably, you know, some European countries in U.S. or Latin America. That was a kind of, you know, formula that there was kind of process. But BTS, the exception has been made because BTS, except for the um, Japanese market, they were not really made for international scene. For instance, a lot of K-pop groups still nowadays, they had a lot of international members or Korean Americans or Canadians or Europeans who can speak English fluently or had a kind of cultural or ethnic or, you know, national connection to the, a lot of like international countries, which would give uh, them a you know, huge advantage for the success globally. But BTS, they're all local. Well, RM speaks English very fluently. But except for, you know, fact, uh, you know, that, that English fluency, they're not really made or prepared or trained for the international market. So their success in the U.S. was just a miracle. I mean, there's something they didn't really prepare or didn't expect. So, well, I'm not saying BTS was not popular locally, but in Korea, idol music is not really for everyone. They had huge fandoms normally. But they're not really well known for the a lot of like general audiences. So even though BTS popular or well known among the K-pop idol consumers, actually nobody really pay attention to the group. I mean, from a general audience standpoint, after they they made you know historic success in the in the U.S., it actually you know like you said, it actually made them really special and different. Made people reconsider their potential. As superstar, so in that sense, I think it's a whole another kind of model of the success of K-pop band in a global scene. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Let's talk about BTS's evolution because it was a complex evolution. The idea of them as hip-hop idols was at the very beginning was quite literal. Their CEO, originally he had RM, who's the leader of the group, and Suga, and... And I guess J-Hope was there very early. And originally, it was going to be a group of all rappers. There were a bunch of, as you say, prototype version of the group. There were there were all these other guys <laughs> who were once members of BTS before their debut, as they were going to be this, this rap crew. Before the debut, the plan shifted, and they brought in the singers. Then what you see as... As you go through the albums and the eras is actually a further evolution as they start out very much more hip-hop and also a, a different image in their first era. 
and then move away from that while keeping a lot of elements of hip-hop and obviously keeping uh, the great rapping from the rap line. But the, there's this incredible evolution. Yeah, I mean, there are always like the two sides of the, these kind of choices, you know, musically, industrially. There are choices being made for the commercial reason. For In this case, I think uh, it's really a kind of natural evolution uh, reflecting their their whole narrative as a group talking about youth and uh, their um, struggles and love and uh, all different uh, types of themes. And also, you, you cannot dismiss uh, the factor of trend at the time. You know, hip-hop idol around 2013, 14, 15 was really popular format. But as, as the K-pop really um, progresses, you know, being hip-hop idol itself, I mean, literal hip-hop idol would kind of limit their musicality and the musical choice they can make. So I, I think that's one of many reasons they chose to take uh, kind of different images and different direction. But for me personally, I don't think the very essence of the group as a hip-hop idol or a group who deeply influenced and uh, rooted in hip-hop tradition hasn't really changed that much. Because, I mean, if you look at the hip-hop tracks, you can definitely see the same amount of energy they had back in the day. But the changes there, based on their progression and uh, change as a person, as a musician, because early on, uh, for, for the early, earlier age, I mean, earlier uh, periods, most important theme for them is the feeling as an underdog from small company, from the perspective as a kid who's from countryside, not city. So that sentiment, that idea as an underdog and as a youngsters who felt that all these different injustice or school system or something like that were an issue. Yeah, but as career goes on, they're paying attention to the different ideas of life. You know, love, definitely one of them. Uh, not just romantic love, but love, loving oneself, you know, self-love. Or um, exploring identity, you know, map of soul, for instance. So it was, uh, yeah, half a um, change of trend, half a commercial decision, but also very natural progression of uh, as an artist and uh, as a musician. It is interesting to look at even at the very beginning when they had No More Dream and the, and the video to N.O., that's where they kind of unveiled their messages aimed at youth. And I, I do think, and as you said in your book, that those kind of things, along with the later messages, may help account for how they connected worldwide in the, in the U.S. Because you interviewed someone who pointed out that to take a broader look back, that the whole world is feeling like they're in the state of uh, neoliberal competition where it's it's winners and losers and there's this tremendous pressure on youth worldwide it's something they all share in an age of globalization kids in the US are feeling the same thing that the kids in South Korea are feeling and here is this group from so far away speaking directly to them and i i think uh, there's a lot of people, including RM, when I spoke to him about this, who, who think that that was a big part, and he never intended it. He never thought of anyone outside of his own experience, really, at that time. But he has since come to learn that this was a universal thing, which is fascinates me. Definitely, the music is universal in general. But at the same time, we um, Koreans, 
never really saw us as a kind of universal being, you know, who can create a universal content and stories that would resonate with a lot of different people all over the world. But now things have really changed. For instance, the movie Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Yes. If you see the movie, it's all about Korean families, you know, happening in, in South Korea, reflecting very distinctive Korean condition uh, society. From a foreigner's point of view, it, the story itself is so universal. We actually didn't really know that we already become a um, universal being who can create universal contents. I mean, the same thing uh, would be applied to the to the music of BTS. They didn't really care about the, the foreign consumers, foreign listeners, when they actually made the music. They just talked about themselves. They just talked about the feelings they had inside at the time, at the very moment. Especially the message were the thing that really made international K-pop fans started to pay attention to the BTS and the music of BTS, feeling that these are the, some, something really different. Because from the very first time when K-pop actually went abroad, went global, all they really care about, the industry care about, was the sound and image. Because that's the thing they believe that would make K-pop really distinctive genre. You know, beautiful choreography, you know, music, you know, state of art, visual elements and things like that. And they really never really pay attention to the, to the lyrics. Because, you know, in the end, it, it's the foreign consumers who would enjoy the music. And, uh, but it, if it's Korean, then nobody would really understand the core messages. But BTS... Because so this situation is really ironic because BTS really made this music really genuine and authentic based on their experience, based on their own ideas about life and, uh, you know, schools and all the different types of experience because they really didn't target it for the international audience. So it's really ironic situation. But actually, that was the reason for the first success in the U.S., yeah, which is really interesting. And of course, one of the key innovations of their producer and CEO was encouraging and allowing them to be deeply involved with the songwriting, which uh, from the very beginning, the lyrics and then increasingly the music and even the production, which is, I think, at the time was fairly unique in Korean popular music. Right. There were actually some groups have their own singer-songwriters or... Um, lyricists or songwriters in the group um, and the, there's been a lot of debates about that you know whether it's a really real thing I mean really legitimate or or kind of you know marketing ploy but the thing is I really love that idea of Bang Xiaok and, and his vision that they at least you know have to tell their own story which is really great thing I mean this is whole point of hip-hop or other more genuine music I mean because you know, since the early 2000, uh, when Gangnam Style or other other K-pop groups made a presence in the, U- in the U.S. industry, the most common you know criticism was that K-pop is all factory forged, not organic type of music, which is not true at all. I mean, K-pop really made that impression, and uh, re- really understood in that way. Well, I'm not saying producer Pang Xiao really pay you know you know care about that kind of criticism, but for him, if they're really hip-hop-based group, 
they at least have to write their own lyrics. So there are a lot of like stories that I heard. You know, producer Bang Xiaoq asked members to write their own stuff, and that they came up with um, for the first time they they wrote lyrics. Those were normally more conventional. You know, talking about money and success and something like that. And the producer Bang Xiaoq really hated that idea, so th- he kind of rejected those lyrics several times, and then asked them again to write more genuine experience you guys really had as a student, as a, as a youngster at the time, instead of writing what other hip-hop musicians or, you know, especially mainstream hip-hop artists would write. So they finally came up with the, with the stuff they recorded, you know, talking about injustice, talking about the system, school, dreams, happiness, definition of happiness, which, you know, was pretty much about, the, the, you know, the, everything about this whole trilogy, school trilogy for their all-year career. Right. And the school trilogy, for those who don't know, Army will know, but anyone who's listening who's new to this, the school trilogy was essentially their, their first phase. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Let's go to the the most beautiful moment in life, which is a multi-part album that, according to the band themselves and according to many fans, is sort of where they really found themselves. They found the way that they were going to be going forward. They moved away from a lot of the aggression of the earlier stuff, although I really enjoy some of that aggressive stuff. I was talking on Twitter that there's a song called War of Hormone that they actually sort of apologized for the lyrics of, but it's, you know, it's like a rap rock song and it has a, a totally different energy and it's really fun to hear. But with Most Beautiful Moment in Life, which RM said was actually a very stressful moment because they had yet to really break through the way they wanted to. There was a lot of pressure. They were transforming. Artistic transformation is never easy. But there's some really key songs on it. There's a song called I Need You that in many ways was a template for what happened going forward. Maybe you could speak about that a bit. Yeah, more colorful. And, um, you know, um, it, it definitely has more a variety of sounds in one song. I mean, from the very ethnic kind of vibe to the really catchy singing and, uh, and a beautiful yet kind of like Asian melody. I guess. Mm. Yeah, so I think it really turned around, you know, of of their career in many ways. You know, for their earlier careers, well, a lot of songs were more, you know, straightforward, more aggressive, and really rhythmically driven songs. But from uh, the the era of Hwang, you know, the yeah, most beautiful moment, moment in life. Yeah, I mean, from that era, they kind of shifted and they started to reveal more emotional, more sensitive side. side. And, uh, and it actually opened a lot of possibility because, I mean, as a person, as a musician, it was a time when they really started to feel the success for the first time. So it's not just anger or rage they felt at the time. They also felt 
struggles as a new star and the whole different images they adopt. And also it was a, another phase of a new narrative about th this whole youth and uh, identity, love, uh, things like that. So yeah, it definitely opened a new possibility in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it's, um, it really made a BTS as a whole new group to the general audience. During the hip hop idol era, they've been heavily criticized by a lot of different you know, people, musicians, fellow rappers, and, you know, K-pop audience who, who didn't uh, really like that, the idea of a hip hop idol or the aggressiveness or things like that. But from the era of Huayang um, the most beautiful time in your life, it was really a game changer as a pop group. I think one thing that's perhaps underappreciated about BTS is this team of, first of all, the, the group themselves, as I said, uh, is a big part of the production and increasingly so, and of course the songwriting. And then they work with an in-house team at Big Head slash Hybe of these very, very talented uh, producers and songwriters that remind, you know, again, it reminds me of, of the in-house writers at Motown. And even actually at Motown, you had in-house writers collaborating with artists like Smokey Robinson. So there really is very similar to that. I was slightly disappointed I didn't get a chance to interview P-Dog, who was their, the main producer there. They wanted to do an email interview, and I sent a, a very long list of questions, and maybe it was too long because they said he didn't have time to answer them. I think I got overambitious with the list of questions, but maybe you can explain. There's P-Dog and a few other people who, again, I, I should emphasize, work with BTS themselves and later with Western songwriters and producers to make the music. But one of my favorite parts of your book was when you interviewed a writer who'd worked with them, and they explained how that process Work. There's actually a floor of studios at Big Hit headquarters where they go back and forth and, and work on this stuff. It wasn't really a new thing in K-pop as well. For instance, JYP, for instance, well, JYP himself was a great composer. So he led the group uh, who kind of exclusively create a song for, for themselves. And YG Entertainment is popular for that kind of format. They have a really talented producer like Teddy who exclusively works for the company. But what makes really Big Hit different is that they have several in-house producers who are specialized in a different area. For instance, P-Dog, who he's a main producer. He's almost like a musical director of the company. But his main stuff is mostly uh, hip-hop and old-school R&B and uh, African-American music. And uh, his style is very kind of eclectic, uh, sometimes really, you know, hard-edged, sometimes really mellow, but he's very versatile uh, musicians. But Slow Rabbit, on the, on the other hand, Slow Rabbit is really talented uh, composer who's really known for um, beautiful melodies and really um, kind of, he, he provides tenderness to the production. And uh, he, they sometimes work together, they sometimes worked individually for individual tracks. So I think different types of talents, different types of composers who are specialized in different areas would make uh, the music of BTS really, really diverse and uh, really distinctive from other groups. And uh, But uh, most importantly, I think uh, it is also the vision of Bang Xiaok. You know, he himself is a great composer, great lyricist, 
but at the same time uh he's a he's a really good music producer like like Quincy Jones I mean if you think of Quincy Jones he, he's not really an active composer or engineer but he kind of managed everything together really well so I think uh, Bang Xiaox's vision and uh, his you know um style as a producer and the director really the most important factor for the success of this in-house producing team of Big Hit. It's so interesting because even as early as the era of uh, Most Beautiful Moment, there's a song like Boys With Fun, completely in-house, but it has that feel of, as I think you said, it has that feel of Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson's Uptown Funk, that retro disco R&B sound. And what that was, was a preview of where they would go on a song like Dynamite. I think it's very interesting to talk about these two English language hits for BTS. And I I love them both. Dynamite is the first one. The second one is Butter that just came out. They're a lot of fun. They're also, and they have many things in common with previous Korean language BTS songs. But they're also different in some ways. They tend to be lighter in tone. There's no... So far, they have these two songs are are just fun pop songs. Whereas, as we discussed, many of their other songs are both I would say are more complex, both lyrically and musically. Um, These these are more straight ahead songs uh, in some ways, and they're not. RM has some writing credit on um, on butter. These are much more outside creations than any of their. Pretty much across the board, the members of the group have writing and or production credits on all of their Korean language music, basically. But these have been a little bit of exceptions. And it's fascinating for people. There's some people in America who may not be ARMY who only know those songs. And they're really only getting the tip of the iceberg of what BTS is. But that's actually, honestly, the case with any act in their hits. You know, you, you if you know only Let's Dance by David Bowie, you don't have a real sense of the David Bowie uh, catalog. But how do you how do you see these these English language songs in the context of their larger career? Well, it, it reflected uh, the whole different situation they, they're facing right now. You know, they're not really local group anymore. They're international. So international means they would be, their song should be um, accepted by really different people. But for the song Dynamite and uh, Butter, it definitely had an intention to be successful in the, in the United States. I mean, the reference, the MJ, uh, Queen, um, so definitely, well, they had in my, uh, the success in mind in UK or US. Well, it's it's not it's not a bad thing at, at all. Um, I mean, for for the for the devoted fans, uh, they all understand. Well, at this point, they you know one thing they really need is a major presence in the mainstream market because they prove they're the talented musicians, talented songwriter. You know, they had all this history as a group who, um, you know, spent all these careers to the to the really deep, uh, lyrically, um, philosophical. And uh, but for the kind of final goal, I mean, RM said many times that RM and Sugar uh, said said this many times. They they all had uh, Grammy in, in their mind at this point. So I think uh, all they needed right now is the you know, presence in the in the mainstream market. So I think uh, Dynamite, Butter are the two really exceptional songs of their career. Uh, still good songs, but very really exceptional songs. 
And uh, you mentioned retro. Um, I think that really applied to this situation. But I mean, one thing really interesting about Korean pop music, they've been doing this for the last two decades. I mean, it's not really retro. I mean, the they're not, you know, intentionally kind of follow the, the latest trend of retro. But K-pop itself is a, quite a retro perspective uh, genre. You know, they had all this, you know, trendy hip-hop, R&B thing going on, but they always had this old soul, you know, disco, you know, synth-pop genre at the same time. So that that's why I call it a hybrid genre. And uh, they had no real impulsive context. I mean, in the U.S., musicians really care about the group of audience i mean whether it's a racial group or ethnic group or um or genre music fans so they really try trying really hard to be genuine in genre but in k-pop we we don't have the diversity in uh you know fans or in consumers so k-pop has more creativity in that sense so we mix everything you know several things together really freely and uh, as long as it just works, sounds fine. So in that sense, I think a dynamite retro. I mean, you can say it, those songs reflected the current, you know, phenomenon of retro music in in uh, uh, in U.S. But it actually really kind of you know natural choice for them. You know, it's one of the, one of the music they've been doing for many many years. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, there's a current mini controversy about. You know, the, their chart performance. The argument is that what fans are doing by deliberately boosting songs by BTS on the charts is somehow illegitimate, that it messes with the nature of the charts in America. The, the headline is BTS and their fan army are rendering the pop charts useless. And I, you know, I don't want to attack the writer. I, I, I feel that he has this perspective. I guess what I would say is that it makes the assumption that there was anything organic about the charts in the first place, which I, I don't I don't buy. So that's why I don't really take the argument seriously from the beginning. But I think I saw you speaking out on this and, and that you don't really see the argument either. Well, the thing is, that's not just his or her opinion at all. I mean, the same kind of debate is going on in South Korea as well. The point is, what is popularity right now? Years ago, in the traditional sense, popularity is all about the taste given by the media. You know, people believe that they have they had their you know real choices in choosing music, you know, or um, choosing the genre. But the fact of matter is, they're kind of influenced by the media and the whole playlist the media or radio station had, and that they just play these things over and over to make people believe that they really love those songs. So I think uh, the traditional sense of popularity of music is really based on that idea. You know, traditional media play, promotion, the connection between station and magazines and uh, media people. But right now, uh, for instance, Butter and the, the popular BTS hugely boosted and supported by fans and they're really voluntary purchase of song, downloading songs, streaming song. They almost forced everyone to pay attention to this group. And that was kind of intentional choice for them to 
make their favorite group BTS, you know, to have a presence in the in the mainstream market, which never really paid attention to the foreign music, who sing in the foreign language, you know, which has definitely has a huge disadvantage in the radio station and radio play. Again, what's the popularity? I mean, you, you definitely have a different types of, uh, you know, success in the pop music. You can have a really catchy, easy song for to to the general audience, but you got to have you know certain like uh, devoted fandoms to voluntarily support your music by purchasing and things like uh, purchasing uh, the files and the streaming music. So I think th- those are different ideas of the success of music. So I mean I. Definitely understand what they're, they're trying to say, but I think, well, for me personally, I think it's an old-fashioned idea, because I mean, traditionally, we didn't really care about nobody really pay attention to the to the media play and uh, the, the, all these power things like payola and the things like that, you know. But all of a sudden, they started to pay attention to the you know fans streaming and the, the voluntarily you know purchase and things like that, and saying that those were the corruption. Those are the manipulation. I, I think it's really not fair at all. And finally, I think you said that you see BTS as the most significant pop act in the history of Korean popular music. Is that something you believe? And, and you know, in some ways, maybe it's obvious, but maybe you could just briefly explain why. Well, it's not just about music. The whole, you know, presence and the whole, like, wave they're making right now. In the history of Korean pop music, we always believe that it's just a local music in a, in the music for Korean people or Korean American people or Korean people living in uh, in the foreign countries but right now it's not just a Korean product exported to the foreign country because I mean BTS is not just a group that you know made by local fans they're the group simultaneously made by the global fans which is probably the first time in the in the history of Korean pop music and uh, the influence in impact the significance as a global pop star I mean it's it's a whole new thing we for me as a Korean pop stands American pop music and the pop star stands American pop star an idol star stands for um, American pop idol star but actually Right now, BTS is not just a most popular K-pop group right now, but probably the most popular, or like Rolling Stone um, stated, biggest pop act in the world, which... Yeah, we, we, we call them the biggest band in biggest the Biggest band in I, the world, I, yeah. I, yeah I, world's I biggest band, I say, yeah. World's biggest band. It's a totally new new face. I mean, this, this totally new um, status. And it's revolutionary and it's fascinating, and I'm, I've uh, enjoyed delving deeper into it, both in researching my article and, and talking to the guys in BTS and now talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much to Youngdae Kim for joining me all the way from Seoul, South Korea. Please check out his book, BTS The Review. You should also try to check out the cover stories I wrote for Rolling Stone about BTS. There's eight of them, a main story and 
seven individual interviews, so a lot to read there. But we'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's Volume Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Rolling Stone Music Now is a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, leave us a nice review on iTunes. Those are really appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.